Welcome to Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how to show up well for the opportunities and responsibilities that life sends our way. Today is a special episode highlighting veterans, their service, and what it's like to grapple with PTSD. Thanks so much for tuning in. As I stated, today's episode is a special episode where I did an interview with my cousin, Tiffany Haran. She is a contributor to the organization 92 for 22, which highlights veteran suicide and those affected by PTSD that have served in the military. This is our full unabridged audio recording and... I hope you guys tune in. If you feel compelled to sponsor this cause, there's going to be some information at the end of the show to help guide you in that endeavor. All right. So I am sitting here with Tiffany Haran and we are using Zoom as our platform. So if there are any disruptions or any tech glitches, we're totally going to blame Zoom for this. But I'm sitting with Tiffany. She's my cousin and she is going to tell us a little bit about her life. And she's going to um, tell us about part of her journey and how it intersects with trauma. So Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. Go ahead and can you share with the audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah. So I am a mother of three kids and a wife. I am a Marine Corps veteran and I served two tours in Iraq. I currently now I have a position as an ambulatory nurse, which is an outpatient surgical nurse. Okay. Not an OR technically, but um, I do the pre-op, post-op, and the recovery of surgery. I very much love my position where I'm at. It takes away the stress of the inpatient life that I've had. Sure. And of course, prior to that, I I worked at the Meyer Heart Center on the seventh floor which I loved, absolutely loved so much, but it was challenging through COVID and everything. And about 18 months of that, I was there and, um, you know, I worked with the heart and lung transplant patients and open heart surgeries. I realized I needed a little bit of a change in life. So then I decided to apply to a different spot, which was outpatient surgery. Okay. Very cool. So we know some of your, uh, vocational pieces Tell us about some of your hobbies. So you have three kids, absolutely adorable children. And tell us about what do you guys like to do together as a family? Yeah. So if you were to ask all of my kids how to describe their mom, they would probably tell you that I'm very adventurous and I like to go on trips. Now, me and my husband, we can kind of disagree on that just because he's more of a homebody, but sure, <laughs> I get him out of his box sometimes. So we, um, we like to travel. I want to have the kiddos experience life and the world around them and hobbies for the most part. I like to watch my kids play sports. They, um, my oldest Ashlyn is in a club soccer and then my youngest son Jackson is in club soccer as well. And then Madison is taking up volleyball and she is very big into karate. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I love supporting my kiddos and watching them, you know, strive through all their hard work and dedication to their sporting. I also am very much into our veteran community. And as a hobby, I like to um, advocate for our veterans and kind of show them that it's okay to like not be okay. Like Mm -hmm. if there's any issues that they go through in life that it's okay to talk about. So I think back in 2019, I joined a group called 92 for 22. Okay. Um, and that is a, um, we're a nonprofit organization that supports our veterans in the state of Michigan. 
for right now. Okay. I love that we're going to get into that topic because it is Veterans Week this week. And obviously there's such significant contributions that anyone who serves is, is giving, they're giving of themselves personally, they're giving of their time, they're giving of so many, you know, their, their safety. There's so many pieces that they're voluntarily giving. I'd love to know before we dive into the mission of 92 for 22, could you tell us about your time in the military and what led you down that path and what was involved for you? Yeah. So I, um, when I joined, it was just after 9-11, when I just at the age of 19, when I realized that our world was so, especially our nation here, um, was just so uh, vulnerable with attacks and stuff. I decided to, I wanted to join the service. And mm-hmm. at that point, I didn't really realize what it was going to look like. I wanted to always be a nurse. But at the time when I joined, and I'll be honest, when I went into the recruiting office, a Marine was right there. A marine recruiter and he was like all right you're gonna want to go in this door <laughs> and I was like well you know I almost want to see what the navy's all about just sure. because I wanted to um be a corpsman um but when I found out that military life doesn't kind of transfer over into civilian life as far as like jobs so like I would still have to go through schooling in the military and still have to go through schooling in civilian life I decided to join the marines only because I wanted to um see if I could get through with it I'm sure. like a big like person into challenging myself and to see if I can get through things. At the time, I needed a little bit of direction too. At that age, I went through kind of a rough life growing up with family. And my father was, unfortunately, he was an alcoholic. So he struggled a lot with that. And my parents divorced at the age of four. And my mom just struggled in life trying to raise my brother and I um, as a single mother, which I understand. I mean, it would be pretty tough, but she did her best. And I just, I, what I think is um, when I did join, I didn't realize it until like like years after I was done with the service, like I just needed a way out too. When I joined, I wanted to join after 9-11, but I also was like, you know what? If I join the service, maybe I I could help myself through college, helping, you know, the financial part as well. So when I joined, it was more of a, let's get out of the, the area that I'm in, like living and you know, kind of, I needed some discipline too, and Mm -hmm. a redirection in life. So when I joined, that was pretty tough for me mentally, physically, I was okay with it, but mentally it was pretty challenging. So what would have prepared you better to engage that particular life choice? Uh, What sort of preparation might've been helpful for anyone considering going into the military? Well, so here's the thing they need to be, I feel like in recruiting, they need to be very transparent and explain to you exactly what you're going to be joining into and exactly, you know, what it can look like aside from if you were to be activated to go to war. When I joined, I went to boot camp 13 weeks. And then after that, you know, I didn't even realize, to be honest, it was kind of vague when I joined. I had to go to Marine combat training before I did my MOS training, which is a, um, your military job, MOS. I was a 3531 uh, truck driver. So at the time, women didn't have a lot of different opportunity for positions in the Marines at that point in 2003. But I wasn't told that I had to go to Marine combat training when I signed up. So that was a whole nother, I think, three weeks, four weeks. I can't remember. But it was like, okay, when you sign up, you need to have all these, your ducks in a row and like basically say goodbye to family, friends, life you know, and then you're volunteering your time and your service and your life basically to do something aside from regular civilian world. And um, I remember when I was done with Marine combat training, the platoon sergeant was like, oh, looks like you guys are being activated to go to go overseas. And nobody realized that it was going to happen that quick. 
Sure. So we were like, oh, okay. So literally after that, we had to go to our MOS training for our military profession. And then right after that, we were, we sent, we were sent to Iraq. Now I would say, I wish prior to Iraq, I wish what they could have done is gathered families and friends and supporters of their service servicemen or woman that was serving and got us all together and explained to us what type of mental challenges you you will see coming from your loved one because that's the biggest that's the biggest drawback when you come home from you know a war Mm -hmm. you are definitely different changed regardless if you'd like to accept it or not there's there's some thoughts and feelings and you don't think the same as you used to right and um, I struggled big time when I got home. I remember my mother just telling me, I think, honey, you need to get some help. You need to get some help because I would just cry every day. Yeah. Super depressed, upset, had some rage. That would be the biggest thing is I wish that they could like pre-educate loved ones and family members and friends or whatever. Let them know this is what's going to happen so that we're all on the same page prior to going. Sure. At least some sort of heads up of what, what you can expect cognitively, although you can't necessarily brace for it emotionally, you're at least aware that it's normal what you're going through. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you went to Iraq, several tours. What was your main contributions in Iraq? Yeah. So I, I went in 2003 to 2004 and then uh, 2004 to 2005, I got activated again. Um, I was with a bridge company out of Battle Creek, Michigan, and um, we were activated alongside active duty as well. So um, our mission in Iraq was to um, support the front lines, meaning um, the military grunts and everybody that needed to proceed forward through war, we bridged gaps for them. So say if there was a, a dry hole or something to get past it, like we would have to throw a bridge down. Or um, even in the Tigris and Euphrates River, I would drop floating ribbon bridges for my truck into the, the river so that our engineers could connect the bridge to the gap so that we could proceed forward. Interesting. So you're working on just even basic infrastructure so things like combat can even take place. Yes. Okay. And so in that experience, obviously you're going to be exposed to things that are upsetting cultural norms that are just jostling and so different from what you would be used to for you. What was some of the maybe tougher pieces? And obviously we want to be respectful of you don't have to dive deep into grit or gore or anything like that. But for you, what was some of the tougher things to kind of intersect with? Yeah. So I would say some of the challenges that I faced was, I was only one of like a few women, like four women out of like, it felt like 200 males. Sure. So being a few of us, we were pretty segregated at times. Now I see both sides just being a nurse. I understand that dynamic, but um, it was really challenging to go through. Cause you would be like, um, you'd walk into a, a tent or something and be like, oh, WMs are here. So then they would have to like, either get dressed, they'd complain about, ah. You know, so it's like, okay, whatever, you know, the dynamic of them watching their tone of voice or what they're saying around us. We were one of them too. I cussed like a sailor as well. So it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything new to me. I was fine with whatever they had to say, but I will say that the naive of age of like what, 20, 21, when I was over, I had to have thick skin for sure. sure. Some of the stuff that they would say, you know, like um, sexually related or kind of condescending, like, ah, oh, that 
she's not going to pull her weight or let's get somebody else to do it. Sure. A few times I would have my, you know, higher up take over some of my position of what I was supposed to be doing with the skills that I had going on. And even though I was well-trained and what I was doing new and very knowledgeable of what I was doing a couple of times, like my higher up would take over my, you know, maybe working the bridge out of my truck. And then um, one instance, he got it stuck and walked away. It was like, oh, here, you can take care of this. Sure. So it looked like I did it. Just some of the things that it's just like, you know, they didn't, I felt like they didn't trust me as much, even though I was very capable of Mm -hmm. doing some of the stuff that they were doing. So Um, when we think of brothers and a brotherhood, you experienced some exclusion from that at times. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely exclusion. There were some, you know, guys that I felt like I could trust Mm -hmm. um, that I were more of like, you know, big brothers that would watch out for me or have my six, if you will. Um, they actually, you know, would make sure that I was taken care of and they had my back. But yeah, it was kind of hard because not only do you have, you know, the enemy of war, but you also have the enemy within sometimes not wanting me to be there. Yeah. Um, maybe thinking that you're not adding up to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's like the mental challenge of trying to get through that. And then also trying to make sure you're getting through this war with enemy is kind of like a double whammy, if you will. Yeah. So if it's okay to transition into you go and you serve, you experience obviously battle related things. You also experience some community dynamics that are difficult. And then you come back to the United States and you try to transition um, did you transition right to civilian life or what did the the transition process look like for you? And then I'm curious, how was that for you? Yeah. So real quick, I will, I'll tell you kind of a couple experiences that happened in Iraq that were specific to how I think I transitioned back into civilian world. One being, um, you know, occasionally sometimes we would have to be on post guarding our base. One particular Marine that I was serving alongside, we had gotten ourselves into um, some alcohol when we were over there. And it wasn't just me. There was several other Marines. And of course, being in Iraq, it's a dry country. Oh, okay. That's not a good thing to do. It's against their beliefs and all that kind of jazz. But like, you know, being bored and being a Marine and being, you know, sitting around like sitting ducks for a while you get into mischief sometimes, but anyways, so since we were on post, we had to basically, um, be fully cognizant of what, what's going on. Well, one of our corporals of the guard noticed that this Marine happened to be, um, two sheets, if you will. I had asked him, you know, can we just change him out? Can we get another Marine? Like this isn't going to work, but of course they didn't listen to what I had to say. So long story short, this corporal of the guard had told on this Lance corporal that he had been drinking. He woke up our CEO out of the rack and the rest of the higher ups. And they got so upset that they had this corporal wake up all the Marines on base and have them stand online. And he had to go sniff their breath to mm. see if they had been drinking too, because we wouldn't give up the names and um of who was drinking, because I knew that if I were to say who was, that would be the worst, sure. worst thing for me to have to go through. <laughs> So I just left it be and um, they took our rounds, our bayonet, our gun, everything. And we had to sleep on the cement. Mm. So that was kind of challenging because it was like, I'm not the only one that went through this, but at the same time, like, you know, there was probably like 20 other Marines that had their hands on some alcohol, but you weren't going to give up names and nobody actually said anything. So it was like me and this Lance Corporal that got in trouble and a co- like two other people that couldn't even wake up because they were so, you know, two sheets. And Oh no. <laughs> 
know. So what happened, and this is the, the challenging part is, okay, so we get on um, work party after that. Coming back to civilian life, actually, no, I think it was in Iraq. Yeah. Either way, I can't remember, but like the Lance Corporal that I was with um, took his life after oh, all this. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's one of those that it's like, you go through these things and you're like, wow, like that is so challenging to have to go through. And you're like, why did that happen? And then the mental anguish that you have to deal with, with the embarrassment and like a lot of other things that you have to go through. It's like being in the service. Sometimes people don't realize that their own brothers or sisters can really torment them enough to where it pushes them over the edge. Sure. So yeah, he's no longer with us till this day. And um, it's definitely because of that, because that was really challenging to go through. And I mean, it's just that kind of stuff. Like, it's like, you already have to go through trauma of like fire, you know, firefights, like we were, you know, small arms fire, rocket propeller grenades, mortar attacks up front. Like you see all this stuff and then you come home and it's like, there's no rules of engagement. You don't have loaded rounds. You're still watching your back, you know, looking to see if anybody's out around the corner or whatnot. So like, it's just a lot of different things you have to go through. So if I'm understanding correctly, your body kind of stays wired in that hypervigilance and wired for combat, but you come back to the States and there's not combat on street corners. And so there's a mismatch between what you're anticipating and what you're experiencing. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So the first, the difference of the first, the first war and the second war when I was over is the first war. I remember when we were boots on the ground in Kuwait and our CO and everybody had said, okay. The rules of engagement are this. If you feel threatened, shoot. Literally. It's like, what the hell? Like I can shoot if I feel threatened. You know, everybody has loaded rounds. So you're like, okay, I got to trust everybody. Hopefully nobody has a mental break, you know? And then the second war was almost worse. I think they said the rules of engagement were this hold fire until you're basically shot at. So if you feel threatened, you're not able to shoot, but they have basically shoot first and then you shoot. It's okay. Like, okay. <laughs> so now when you get home from Iraq, right? Like you, there's nothing like that. So you're, yes, you're mentally wired to watch your back. You don't have that, that protection because we had to go everywhere. I mean, you didn't leave sight without that rifle. Right. You had every night you were counting your rounds to make sure you had 32. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just insane. Yeah. You can't rewire your brain that, that quickly. You can't. And so you come back and you're expected to, I assume by family kind of transition a little bit seamlessly. You're kind of let go from supports from the military or did the military come alongside of you to transition into civilian life at all? So when we, I can't remember which war, I think both wars, we did the same demold, we call it demobilization. There is a, a process for sure which it's very gray to me because we were so like, let's just get home. That was the goal. You just wanted to get home. Sure. It didn't matter what you had to go through or what you had to answer. And basically they had told us um, our higher ups and basically, and I see they were trying to help be helpful, but in a way it was kind of damaging. What they had said was if you answer yes to any of these um, post-deployment questions, like, are you, have you ever been shot at or do you have rage or like anything like, do you feel threatened by people? Like certain questions that they asked, if you said yes to any of those, you were going to be held back from going home for sometimes months because sure. there, there were certain people that need, you needed to be seen by. So nobody did. So now you have on 
military paperwork that's documented saying that, no, you don't have these problems. And then you go home and you actually do. And then when you get home from wherever you're serving from, like I remember in the gym when we had just gotten home and I remember a Navy chaplain was standing by at like one of these, the doors. And then we had um, a medical doctor or like the Navy doc too. Mm-hmm. And um, our higher up, I can't remember who said, he was like, and this was like all of us in the same gym together. There was no privacy whatsoever. He said, hey, all right, if anybody needs to go see medical doc, it's in that door right over there. If anybody needs to um, go see the chaplain for any of your mental issues, go over there, basically. Nobody stood up. Sure. You st- if you stand up, you're like that person. You're, you're, I would say like, you know, you're not strong. You're not, I mean, you're weak, like whatever, whatever type of descriptive thing you could say um, that the military would just hone in on. Do you remember wanting to stand up and go seek support? Yeah, I did. Okay. So if privacy or discernment was part of it, potentially you would have sought out services. Yeah. Okay. So then you come back and you're in civilian life. And then we, we move forward quite a while. You live quite a bit of life before we start working with 92 for 22. Could you tell us a little bit about what is their mission and what compels you to contribute there? Yeah. When I got home, I didn't realize that I had so many issues. You know, I definitely struggled with PTSD, um, anxiety, depression. I had a lot of rage. Like I realized that after so many years, I had those struggles. I ended up seeking counseling. I couldn't go into the nursing program right away just because I couldn't even focus Mm -hmm. um, on like my studies. So then after so many years go by, um, you know, I get married, I have my kids. So that took me a little bit of um, time to just kind of get through. Um, When I completed my nursing education, finally in 2016, and then I got hired into um, the Meyer Heart Center, I didn't realize that there were so many things that would trigger my PTSD because I, I didn't have after a year or two, like most of the trauma, like panics went away for me, not trauma, but like the panicking sure. went away. I was able to sleep okay at night, but what re-triggered the thoughts and feelings and like, it's crazy, even smells was when I was working in the Meyer Heart Center. Sure. Just because like the critical patients that we had come through, you know, life changes, um, deaths, blood. I mean, so basically um, I needed to speak to the veteran brothers and sisters at that point. It's like civilian people, like my friends, my coworkers, you know, people like I felt funny talking about it. And I didn't really explain to them that I can't really start an IV because I don't want to do harm or see the blood. You know what I mean? Like it was some of the stuff that was just like, this is really affecting my life. So I reached out, I started doing some walks with 92 for 22, their mission. um, Our mission is um, to make awareness of the PTSD, which we're trying to actually transition to just PTS, not make it as a disorder. Yep. Um, more so just it's an injury, right? That yep. So awareness of that and then awareness of veteran suicide, um, meaning the 22 in our name is 22 a day that commit suicide in the veteran population. Sure. Which I believe that that statistic is lower now, which thank God, um, I think it's like 17 or 18 a day now. Mm-hmm. But um, 92 is 92 miles that were walked when it first originated um, for those that are no longer with us. So 
what does the funds raised, because I know fundraising is a part of this nonprofit, what do the funds raised actually go and contribute to? Yeah. So we, um, what we do is, um, you know, the funds, all the donated uh, monies go to veterans who need assistance. So, and that's Michigan only, and it can be towards families too. So like um, at one point we um, had bought a um, handicap accessible van for a veteran's daughter because they had challenges of getting her to and from hospitals and like okay. appointments and she had she was wheelchair bound so like it was very tough for them so we were able to work alongside um community-based like um uh, car places and um talk to them they gave us a discount and then we were able to raise enough money to buy this van um that's just one occasion um other other people like may have car trouble veterans and they're trying to you know just move forward in life um to move through their struggles that they have. So like we can assist financially, emotionally, meaning just talking with them. We do like camaraderie where it's like, we have our events, we ask them to come out and just hang out with us um, just so that we can support them in, in life and what they're going through with their challenges. Sure. So one of the intentional efforts is to build community among those who have served as well then. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's nice too, because like there's been several veterans that didn't realize, you know, that there's a lot of different nonprofits out there that do kind of similar things like we do, um, which is awesome because it just speaks to more people. You know, we at times will like um, just jump on board with other missions too. Like one of many is a motorcycle club. Um, there are a lot of veterans too, which raise money for us and then also do their own mission alongside to help veterans. Nice. Um, we've worked with uh, Travis Snyder. He's another Marine veteran that walks Lake Michigan um, for Mission 22. We just like to um, collaborate with different areas of Michigan to be able to speak and like um, reach more veterans in need. Wonderful. If listeners wanted to contribute to the cause, what might that look like? And also how can they connect and find out more information? Yeah. So we have a website um, that's 92for22.org, O-R-G. And that kind of speaks about our mission, tells you how we originated. Um, There's options, there's ways to donate on that website. And there's also um, like our mission and our personal stories. You'll see my story and Ken's story and a lot of us other um, veterans on there. We also have apparel um, and portions of the, um, we call it swag that people purchase um, that goes back towards our veterans in need. And another thing that I want to point out too is application. So there's an application on our website that people can um, apply for assistance. And it doesn't need to be just the veteran. It can be a loved one. It can be a friend. It can be anybody that knows a veteran that they think, hey, I think that this veteran needs some help. And it could just, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial need. It could be um, this uh, veteran lost his life. And now what is on her own raising their kids um what type of resources you know we have resources through kent county veteran services we always like um talk to there's carlos castillo he's with the veterans um vet center so there's a lot of different resources we can help people kind of gain knowledge of as well wonderful and for listeners benefit when you're typing in any sort of search and i know you guys are on facebook and you'll have to let me know if you're on any other social media but we're doing the numbers nine and two, and then the word F-O-R, and then the numbers two, two. 
uh, org is what you would be looking for. Or if you're searching Facebook, 92422, um, the two numbers are going to be numerical, but the four is spelled out. F-O-R. Yes. Perfect. So in addition to Facebook, where might people be able to connect with you and online? With me? Um, not, it could be with you, but uh, uh-huh. with the uh, 92 for 22 organization, do they are they on any other social media platforms? Occasionally there is, um, you know, some of the guys actually do like a podcast. Okay. Sometimes, like Brad Stinson, he's with Benchmark Mortgage. He does a podcast sometimes with the Marine and I forget what the podcast is. I'm sorry. No, um, that's okay. If you send it to me, I can put it in the show notes and listeners can retrieve it that way. Okay. And there is a, um, another, so this month there is a, um, it's kind of neat, um, coachman training is doing a veterans day workout on November 11th. And it's actually a, um, contribution to give back to 92 for 22. Oh, very so cool. what they do is they'll do like a big workout and, um, you know, people that work that uh, actually work out there, like donate towards our cause, but that's kind of neat. I just want to put a shout out to them because they've been a gracious supporter of us every year. And then um, also Hudsonville Winery or Pike 51, they always like send mentions out to us and, and recommend um, a veteran organization to be supported. So they're, they're wonderful supporters of our group as well. Awesome. And it sounds like if local businesses are listening, they can also be contributors and supporters and they could reach out to you um, as an organization directly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We have their Facebook page and like, like any other Facebook um, messenger, if they were to private message 92 for 22, somebody from the organization would get back to them. Awesome. Great information. As we wrap up here, Tiffany, is there any kind of final thoughts that you would like to just kind of share? It's really your time and space here. So what, um, how would you like to wrap this up? Yeah. So um, thank you so much for having me on this of course. Um, podcast. I, I appreciate it. Um, I would love to say that, um, with mental health, it's so important um, that we uh, talk about it, that we're able to um, bring light to any issue that, you know, not just veterans, but anybody can talk about or face. Um, Just the stigma. I I just wish that stigma wasn't around to where people are like, oh, you know, we can't talk about this because we appear weak or we, we sound insane. I just, I wish that wasn't like that because if mentally you're not well, your whole body physically is going to struggle. I mean, I can speak that from personal knowledge, just for me, myself. Yeah. So it's just a constant, you know, a battle basically, like just to make sure that you're mentally strong and healthy and it's okay if you're not okay. Right. Like you, you gotta talk about it. If there's somebody that you can trust or get out and do something healthy, like exercising or, you know, eating nutritiously, if you can, you know, yeah. I struggle with that sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think the whole idea of breaking the stigma is paramount and breaking the stigma with civilians, but especially breaking the stigma with those who have been entrusted to protect us, they're going to have vulnerabilities too. And they're going to have vulnerabilities, especially, and we have to take that seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for spending time and, um, you know, sharing about yourself, sharing about your mission and your causes. And I love so much that you're putting a voice, not only to, um, combat, but to women in combat, because they are a minority still. And I know 20 years ago, you had very unique experiences, but still today, I assume that women are facing um, 
more more barriers than some of their male counterparts. And so it's good to hear a strong voice kind of represent what that experience was like. Yeah, thank you. So that'll be it for today. I definitely want to thank Tiffany for her time putting not only her voice and her face with this cause, but working intentionally to bring awareness to veterans and veterans affected by a disproportionate amount of suicide. We really want to pray for those communities. We really want to think specifically of them this week as we have Veterans Day. And if you are interested in sponsoring this type of cause, there's going to be a list of sponsors in the show notes as well as the connection to the 92 for 22 Facebook page. Reach out to them and support them if that is something you feel compelled to do. This is going to be our only show for the week. It was kind of a double feature. It went twice as long as the normal. So it is in honor of our veterans. Veterans Day is this Thursday. As Tiffany mentioned, there are some events going on that support 92 for 22. I encourage you folks, get involved if it's of interest to you. It's a great cause. It's a great topic. And thanks so much. We'll see you next week.